0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. But as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, that'll be our passage this morning, I want to ask you a quick question. What, what, what is the longest you have ever held your breath? Any, anybody Is anybody able to hold their breath for over 30 seconds? Any any takers? Okay, we got some. Over a minute. Anybody else? Minute and a half? Okay, anybody standing strong still? Uh, Jeremy's giving me the, yeah, maybe fingers. Okay, so about a minute and a half is where we are standing. Well, on, on Mars and, and, and my parents, they, they, we had a pool growing up, and so that was always the competition with my siblings. Who could hold their breath the longest? I think we got to about a minute and a half before we almost... Uh, before I almost saw Jesus uh, prematurely. So, uh, but, but on March 27th, 2021, a guy named Budimir Sobat from Croatia, Croatia broke the record for the longest a person has ever held their breath. And it was a staggering, get this, 24 minutes and 37 seconds. And he surpassed the previous record by 34 seconds. I mean, think about that. 24 minutes and 37 seconds. Try holding your breath the whole time that I'm going to preach this sermon and, and, and you'll get close. Uh, some of you are holding me to that 24 minute sermon. Uh, but uh, but John, why, why do I bring that up? John MacArthur, he once said, prayer is the very spiritual air that the soldier of Christ breathes. And it is the all pervasive strategy in which warfare is fought. It's true. Prayer is to be the spiritual air that we breathe as Christians. And yet I fear maybe that some of us in this room, we go about our days holding our spiritual breath. We go through life without availing ourselves of the opportunity to approach the throne of grace through prayer and the power that is made available available to us there. There's a lot of conversation, and there have been books that have been written today about the importance of consciously breathing. Uh, One one of the most immediate benefits of conscious breathing is that it helps to reduce your stress. Taking slow, deep breaths helps to activate the body's relaxation response. It it reduces the production of cortisol, which is our stress inducer. In, In conscious breathing, it can help to lower our anxiety levels, improve our mood, and enhance overall well-being. I'm not going to crack a joke there. Uh, Focusing on our breathing can also help focus our our focus and concentration. It can enhance our emotional regulation. It can help us get better sleep. And it has other benefits. Consciously breathing. Breathing exercise can help us. And and one of the main things that I tell my children, either when they're stressed, when they're having an emotional outburst, or when uh, when they get hurt, what do I tell them? I say, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. And I just said those words yesterday to Noah when he fell off his bike. Buddy, buddy, it's okay. Take a deep breath. Well, this morning, the Lord, through his word, is telling you, in a sense, continually take deep breaths of prayer throughout your day. This is prayer is the spiritual air that we breathe. This morning, we will see the great importance, the need and the power that is available to us through prayer as we learn about when to pray, how to pray, who to pray for, and what we should pray. With that being said, let's go to God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And our focus this morning will be on verses 18 through 20. But it's, it's a continuation of this entire passage. So we'll read it as a whole. The Apostle Paul, God through the Apostle Paul says this to us this morning. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having put on the shoes, of, having on put shoes for your feet, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy and take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would transfer us from a state of learning about prayer and that this week we would grow in our discipline and our perseverance in prayer. It is one thing to know how to pray, and it is yet another thing to pray. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time For us to see the importance of prayer, the great need for prayer and Holy Spirit, I pray more importantly, that you would lead us to the throne room of grace. That we would see our great neediness spiritually and we would also see the great power available to us. I pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So just to bring us up to speed to recap the previous two weeks. Paul, in our passage, he says that as Christians, we live in a war against a real and dangerous enemy, right? He, he goes on to say that our, our enemy, it isn't against, it isn't other people. No, it's the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spirit, the, the, the forces of evil in, our, in the heavenly places. In, in short, Paul reminds us that we are at a war against Satan and his demons. And so that's why Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord, and put on the whole armor of God. And so if you missed the past couple weeks, be sure to listen to the previous sermons. They will help get you caught up. But we talked about how daily we must put on the whole armor of God so that we can fight, we can wield the spirit and fight the good fight of faith. Well, this morning we're gonna talk about prayer and how we are to use prayer in this great war that we face. You know, too many times I think we use prayer as a sort of a peacetime intercom. And John Piper talks about this. He, he says, we use prayer as a means to call up the butler and ask him to bring us certain comforts for this life. But in our passage this morning, Paul reminds us that prayer is not a peacetime intercom that we're to use to call the butler to meet our needs. Rather, prayer is meant to be a wartime walkie-talkie by which we storm the gates of hell through the power of God. If you've ever watched a war movie before, uh, that's one of my favorite genres, that, but there there are inevitably times in the movie a scene where, where where, the troops, the military unit, is in great desperation, right? And so they use the radio and they, they radio back to headquarters. And when they call in a request for reinforcements, it, it, it's not a... Hey, boss, it, you know, if you wouldn't mind, if you got a minute, I know you're busy over there, but if you wouldn't mind, could you send some, maybe some gunships and A-10 warthogs our way? We're kind of underrun right here, right? That, that's not how they radio it in, right? No, they're screaming into the walkie talkie, right? Because of the urgency of the situation and because of the desperation of the need. They're saying, we need it now or we are going to go under. And so, again, it's in the context of warfare, spiritual warfare, that we find ourselves studying the topic of prayer this morning. Look with me at verse 18, where Paul says that we are to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And See with me, go to verse 16 as well, the, the parallel between faith and prayer. Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. And then in verse 18, he says, praying at all times in The spirit. And so I think Paul is connecting faith and prayer there with the parallel statements of the all circumstances at all times. And I think he's communicating that the strength of our faith is in proportion to the health and the vitality of our prayer life. Because the way we communicate our dependence upon the Lord is through prayer. If we depend little, we will pray little. But if we depend much, We will pray much. At the same time, Paul, though, he says, uh, contrary to the popular phrase, that we are not just to let go and let God. No, Paul says, give yourselves to prayer. Believe that God will answer. But listen, don't expect the answer to be immediate or automatic. Yes, we are to pray. Yes, we are to trust the promises. Do you remember from last week? The promises, the presence, and the power of God in all things. But yes, Paul says, we are also to keep alert with all perseverance. Paul says we're to remain vigilant and we're to persevere in prayer, even when our prayers aren't immediately answered. This, this is why Paul equates the Christian life to a battle, to war, because it is. It's not easy to fight the good fight of faith. It's easier to walk by sight and not by faith, right? We see a living parable of this admonition to stay awake, to be alert, to be on guard in the Gospels. You remember the scene of Jesus going to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? As he goes into the Garden to pray and to prepare for the impending cross. And Peter, James, and John go along with him. And what does Jesus say to Peter, James, and John? He says, Pray that you enter not into temptation. But Luke says right after Jesus had finished praying, he found them doing the very thing he said he told them not to do. He found his disciples sleeping. Right. Jesus is in agony looking forward to what when he would endure the almighty wrath of God for the sins of humanity. The Bible says he's sweating drops of blood. And what are his disciples doing? They're snoozing. They're snoozing as he is sweating drops And so before we even continue, I want to ask you this morning, right, right, right now, when it comes to your own prayer life, would Jesus, would he find you awake and vigilant or would he find you slumbering and stumbling? Would he find you keeping alert, persevering, or would he find you losing your heart and giving up? A hymn writer he once wrote, or she, I'm sorry, she once wrote, Christians, seek not yet repose. Cast thy dreams of ease away. Thou art in the midst of foes. Watch and pray. Watch as if on that alone hung the issue of the day. Pray that help may be sent down. Watch and pray. Our passage this morning says that we are to keep alert with all perseverance, to stay awake and to be on guard, praying at all times. Because, listen, at all times we are engaged in a battle. Adrian Rogers, the, the great, uh, the former preacher, great former preacher uh, who is in Memphis, Tennessee, he, he once said this. He said, the devil laughs at our organization and he mocks our schemes. He ridicules our good intentions. But listen, church, he fears our prayers and so he will do whatever it takes to keep you from praying therefore church we must be a people of prayer notice with me the first thing what paul says when we are to pray when does he say we're to pray when we're in our moment of greatest need when we feel it most acutely no he says at all times praying at all times we pray at all times because we're in a battle at all times times. But practically, what does this mean? What does this mean? Does it mean you need to uh, uh, admit yourself into the monastery uh, out east and just live your days as as a monk going around chanting and praying, disconnected from everything around you? Is that what Paul means when he says praying at all times? Well, no, that's not what it means. I think what Paul is getting at here is because there is a spiritual battle going on around us and against us. Therefore, at all things, at all times and in all things, we should live with our hearts constantly confessing As the hymn says, I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. One commentator, he he put it this way, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness where everything we see and experience becomes a way of prayer, lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our heavenly father. To obey this exhortation means that when we are tempted, we hold the temptation before the Lord and ask for his help. When we experience something good and beautiful, we immediately thank God for it. When we see evil around us, we pray that God will make it right and that he will intervene and use it for his glory. When we meet someone who does not yet know Christ, we pray for God to draw that person to himself and to use us as a witness for them. And when we encounter trouble, we turn to God as our deliverer. He ends by saying, in other words, our life becomes a continually ascending prayer, a perpetual communing with our heavenly Father, to pray at all times is to constantly set our minds on the things that are above, Paul says elsewhere in Colossians 3. And so we are to pray at all times. That means living with an awareness, a consciousness, and a, an alignment, a heart posture to depending upon the Lord in all things that comes our way. But notice also what Paul says. He says, he shows us how we are to pray. Paul says, praying at all times, how? In the Spirit. Now, praying in the Spirit, it, it doesn't mean that we uh, uh, at some point discover a secret prayer language or that our prayers are filled with some demonstrative rhetoric or great emotion or flowery language. No, no praying in the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, means that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because we, some, there are times, right, church, we don't know what to pray for as, as we ought. There are times we know we need to pray, we just don't have the words to pray. So in those moments, the Spirit help himself intercedes for us. With groanings too deep for words, because the spirit intercedes for the saints, God's word says, according to the will of God. And so to pray in the spirit, then means that we pray with an awareness of him, a dependence upon him, and that we seek to line up our mind and our prayers in accordance with his will. It means that we don't rush into prayer, right? We don't just get through our laundry list and call it done but that we take a second to still ourselves and to attune ourselves to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, now it's difficult maybe to describe with words now what, what it's like when this happens, but, but I'm sure many of you have experienced two different kinds of prayer times, right? What one kind of prayer time is you walk through your list, you get off your knees and you just go about your day. But then there, there are those other times, right? When You are praying and it feels as though you have been transported into the throne room of grace and into the very presence of God. This is what we should seek after in our prayer life. To pray, not in our own strength, but to be carried along in prayer by the Holy Spirit into the throne room of grace. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. We depend even upon the Spirit when we pray. John Bunyan, the the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he once said, prayer is a sincere pouring out of our soul to God through Christ in the strength and the help of the Holy Spirit. We are to pray, Paul says, in the Spirit. But notice also who we're to pray for. Who we're to pray for. Paul, he says that we're to make supplication for all the saints in verse 18. And and so how, how many of you are up on your history of the Spanish Civil War? Anybody? Anybody? No, no takers? Okay. You got to brush up on your history. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, uh, but before the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War in 1936, the country of Spain was experiencing a widespread epidemic of neurosis, so much so that psychiatrists could hardly handle all of the cases that were brought their way. However, when the Civil War broke out, though it was deadly and terrible, something incredible and unexpected happened and that it, cured, it began to cure the effect of, the, of neurosis on the thousands of Spaniards. Because when they became concerned about their family, their friends, their neighbors, instead of their own lives, their neurosis disappeared and hospitals and clinics almost were emptied of those cases. And so as they thought about others, these neurotic people were suddenly cured by a greater anxiety, an anxiety that reached beyond their own welfare when they became, began to become concerned for the needs and the concerns of others, it helped, to cons- it helped to cure their own anxieties. And so I think many of our own emotional and mental and spiritual woes could be cured if we begin to think about the good and the welfare of others more frequently and more significantly than even our own. And so I, 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 in light of that, I ask, who, who would you say maybe the predominant subject of your prayer life is? Would you say, ma'am, the, the bulk of my prayers revolve around me or around others? Now listen, it, it, it's right and it's necessary and it's good that we do pray for ourselves. If we don't pray for ourselves, then we're in fact saying that we don't need God's help, His grace, His power throughout our days. We must pray for ourselves. However, our prayer life shouldn't only be dominated with self as the subject. Rather, Paul says, we are to pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to make supplication for all the saints. You are to pray for your fellow members here at New Life Baptist Church. And so one thing I want to encourage us as a church is some, a question that should become more normal for, ask, for us to ask one another in conversation is this. How can I be praying for you this week? And so your homework this morning is after the service, A, while I'm preaching, think about an answer to that question, right? Think about a spiritual need that you have in your life. Think about something that you you want God to work in your heart with. Think about that, have that at the ready. But then secondly, before you leave today, I want to encourage you to find another person and ask them that question. How can I be praying for you this week? And then commit yourself to pray every day for them this week. We have seen, we don't just want to be hearers of God's word, right? We want to be doers of his word as well. And so we've seen when we're to pray, how we're to pray, who we're to pray for. And then finally, Paul shows us this morning what we are to pray. Let's read verses 19 and 20. Paul says, and pray also for me, that words would be given to me in opening my mouth. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm dealing with a cough uh, this morning. Pray also for me that words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Oh, would you look with me what Paul says, the situation he finds himself in. What does he say? He says he's an ambassador in chains, right? Paul here, he's not using some metaphorical language here to paint a word picture for you. No, this was the real situation of his life. As he was writing this letter, he was, <coughs> excuse me apologize just one second (coughs) excuse me uh as he was writing this letter paul was imprisoned by rome and he was literally shackled in chains to a roman soldier now if you were in paul's situation what would your prayer life typically what would your main prayer request be right it would be lord deliver me from this unjust imprisonment right would that not be your prayer request? But notice how Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray for him. Paul's prayer request, it wasn't God deliver me from this situation and suffering. Rather, it was, Lord, use me in my situation and my suffering for the salvation of others. And so listen this morning, I know we, we come into this room with many, much with, with suffering in various kinds of informed sickness, Spiritual suffering, financial suffering, whatever you might find yourself in, whatever, if you find yourself in an unpleasant providence, then listen, it's okay for you to ask the Lord to deliver you from it. But listen, I also want to encourage you, let your first prayer be, Father, not not Father, deliver me from the suffering, but rather, Father, use me most for your glory amid my suffering. Now, if you're like me, it might seem initially a bit unnecessary for the apostle, the apostle Paul, the greatest theologian and missionary ever known to ask the Ephesians to pray that words would be given to him when he shared the gospel. I mean, he's the one who authored 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. If anybody would know what to say, surely it would be him, right? So if there was right. But Paul, he didn't trust in his own strength because he knew his effectiveness for ministry, it was only possible by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And so listen, however God has placed you strategically in your life for ministry, and every single Christian is a minister of the gospel, listen, God cannot use the self-sufficient person because they don't recognize their need for God's grace. It is only the humble believer who recognizes his own need and who is genuinely poor in spirit. It is this kind of person that God is pleased to use and to bless for kingdom service. And so if there's only one prayer that you would pray for me, I ask that you pray for more than just one for me as your pastor. But if there's just one prayer that you would pray for me, please let it be Ephesians 6 verse 19. Pray that as I preach and as I speak with people throughout the week, as I share the gospel with others, that the Holy Spirit would give me words and that he would embolden me with his resurrection power. Because listen, no amount, whether much or little, no amount of natural intellect, no ability, no amount of books you can read, and no amount of past experiences can, have, can substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you even this morning again, what, who are you depending on? Some of you, you're, the, the prospect of sharing the gospel with someone is an absolutely frightening one. And the reason, listen, the reason it is frightening to you is maybe because you're still depending upon your own strength to do that work. So I want to encourage you, trust in the one and look to the one, look to the Holy Spirit who is powerful enough to rob the grave. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11 says, will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The power of resurrection resides within you if you are a Christian, a child of the living God. So look to the Holy Spirit for him to empower you in his work. The the thing that will limit our church, it isn't our size, it's not our demographics, and it isn't the size of our budget. Listen, church, what will limit us in our kingdom influence to be used by God to advance his kingdom, it's one thing, it's a lack of faith in him demonstrated by a lack of earnest and persistent prayer. The truth remains, unless the Lord builds a house church, unless the Lord builds this church, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. And so I ask a question of you. Do you have the spirit of God within you? Do we collectively have the spirit of God within us? If that answer is yes, then let us continue to bring our five loaves and our two fish to the Lord of glory and see what he will do with that. Ephesians 3, Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Church, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, may his glory be known and displayed through our church. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have been equipped for kingdom ministry. So I wanna encourage you, believe that truth this week and live out that truth this week as well. I'll end with a passage in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter four, the church was beginning to experience some persecution for the sake of the gospel. And so uh, they did the right thing. They met together to pray. And, and, And this mirrors what Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter six as well. Notice what the church The earlier church prayed when they were experiencing significant persecution. Acts 4, verse 29 through 31, it says this. They said this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Not, Lord, cease the persecution from happening. No, Lord, continue. Give us grace to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says this, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And it says a little bit later in Acts chapter five, it says, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so listen, church, we are engaged right now in spiritual warfare We have been given a mission from the Lord to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make mature and mobilize disciples of Jesus. And so I think it's helpful to hear these words from John Piper when he once said, he said, You cannot know what prayer is for until you know that life is war. You cannot know what prayer is for. You you cannot feel the weight and the power available to us through prayer until you know that life is war. Let us then pray at all times in the Holy Spirit for one another that words would be given to us in opening our mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel this week. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.